Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Many volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails. And units available in Tamaria near the Keen area for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Angel 7 is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, and welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. This podcast is hosted by EMTP Dove Meisel and EMTB Rafael Posh. Dove, in, uh, in addition to being in one of the more active paramedics in the organization, you're also the Vice President of Operations, is that correct? That is correct. I've been with the organization since uh, its establishment back in 2006. Been in the world of EMS since the early 90s, late 80s. And uh, proud to be on this podcast, sharing a lot of our experience here and getting you all involved in it. Yeah. Um, we're very excited to have you with us. And uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, I guess, the biggest of the big. Uh, we see a lot of these on television shows uh, that are going around now, like 911 and um, Station 19, Chicago Fire, all the different like EMS shows going on, uh, what's called mass casualty incidents. Um, they like to show those a lot because they're they're rare, um, and when they hit, they hit hard. Uh, unfortunately, we in Israel have had a number of mass casualty incidents in the past year. Um, you've been on hand for a number of them yourself. Yeah, actually, it's been many years of uh, relative silence in, in the field of mass casualty incidents here. I mean, going back to the early 2000s here, we were dealing with uh, mass casualty incidents, uh, terror attacks, suicide bombers. Uh, that we're going off every day, and and we've had a relative uh, decade and a half of silence. Uh, but this last year was really a year of change when it came to MCIs, uh, though we always practice and train throughout the years. But um, when it hit this year, it hit, and it hit many times. Uh, we had uh, uh, the first and most famous one, I think, was the one that really made it to global uh, news, was the crowd crush on Mount Meron. Um, back about five months ago when uh, during a uh, religious uh, pilgrimage to the tomb of uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, over 100,000 people uh, attended there and in a uh, mass crowd crush, 45 people unfortunately lost their lives and over 200 people were injured. It was a terribly tragic incident. um, Yeah, and a short while after that, um, we had a uh, collapse of... um, Oh, bleachers of bleachers in the bleachers. In, in, a, in a big synagogue uh, injuring over 200 people and killing three um and just recently literally uh, i think it was about two weeks ago three weeks ago was a uh, a bus um uh, taking uh high school students on their uh day trip on the holiday that they overturned and hit a uh, a car injuring over 50 people so it kind of really kept us busy in these past few months um, certainly has it's been a harrowing uh, while for us here in Israel. We've been doing it as best we can. One of one of the ways that we've been doing with that is uh, by having a fairly regular uh, MCI training drill uh, in different regions around the country and for specific units uh, of the of the organization to sort of give our volunteers more of an exposure to what they may witness when they come to a mass casualty incident. Um, some of those uh, training exercises um, involve. Uh, situations very, very similar to what we actually saw in real life. Like last night, we had a training exercise which had been planned already in July, 
And it was more or less the same scenario as they had in the bus accident up north. Um, so it was uh, one that basically involved the same, very similar scenario, students coming back from a, a trip um, that were, they were being taken and falling off a bridge, uh, and lots of people being injured, and people coming from the nearby cities to come and help. Um, I, I think that the most important thing in these exercises, in these drills, as, as Rafael, you're talking about, is really to sort of... Uh, um, give the volunteers a, a real life-like simulation of a situation. Meaning, we we go to the full extent of uh, of uh, you know uh, simulating the injuries, um, makeup, makeup, and and and, and really uh, visual visual noise, sound effects, um, uh, pyrotechnics to really give the volunteers arriving on scene the real life-like situation, getting those stress levels, getting the adrenaline rush. Um, and, and and working on their judgment, working on them exercising protocol, um, performing triage, and 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 working through the whole process of the transport until the last of the victims out of the scene. These 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 take about an hour to an hour and a half that will really simulate the the situation in a real life situation. All right. So let's let's talk about how exactly or break down a little bit for you listener what exactly takes place when a mass casualty incident occurs. We got the first responder who comes to the scene. They hear about the incident on the radio or they get the, the alert um, and they they arrive at the scene. What do they need to do? So clearly um, when they get to the scene, the first thing usually is be in shock. And we always we, we joke about it. But but on, on a serious note is really to take that deep breath to take that deep breath and, and try to make sense within the chaos. Because, first of all, generally speaking, an MCI, uh, a mass casualty incident, um, has dynamics of its own. There is chaos. And, and you cannot control the chaos. And the, the, the earlier in the game you understand you can't control the chaos is when you can actually start making sense within it. The idea is to work within that chaos and get the mission done. Um, and that's what we have the MCI protocol uh, which is a consists of, of start and, and and many other components, tagging systems and everything. But the most important thing that we expect from our volunteer, from our first responder on scene, be it a EMT, a paramedic, or a doctor, is really to create a a, a solid scene size up. And I think that um, coming from a human perspective, this is the most challenging part because as a first responder. Uh, your instinct is to start treating patients. Right. You want to get there and get in there and help. And help. Exactly. As much as you can. You but... want to stop bleeds. You want to start CPR. You want to treat patients. And what we're asking our first responders is, first of all, you are not touching any patient. First thing you do is a scene size up. You do a quick runaround of the scene to get an idea of how many people are involved in this, how many are lying down and how many are standing up. And we're not talking about exact figures, of course, but just a general idea. Are we talking about um, just a few? Or are we talking about dozens? Or are we talking about 100 plus? Um, and and just, just to get a general idea and how many of them are lying down and how many of them are walking, just that gives us a, 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 a within three seconds or five seconds, an initial idea. Are we talking about dozens of severely injured or not dozens of severely injured, and a general scope of the incident. Um, and just to, to put into perspective, sometimes that's very, very difficult because you'll sometimes have multiple scene locations where the incident took place. For example, in the bus accident that took place in the north, as well as one last night, there were people on the bus, there were people off the bus, there were people missing. 
there are people off the side of the road. Exactly, and and that's what the initial size up is really supposed to to provide. It's supposed to give us a general idea to give uh, the dispatch center this initial information in order uh, to create a, a bigger picture and understanding of what resources we need in order to respond to this incident. Obviously, we have already dozens of teams on the way because just understanding from the dispatching side when the first phone call comes in, um, and, and during the creating the, the general idea of the incident from the first initial phone call, obviously, if we're talking about a bus that turned over, immediately dispatch will, will uh, red flag it and say, okay, MCI protocol, and until proven otherwise. Right. Um, and, and that's the idea of the scene size up. So when our. Right. our for first, example, in Mehron, we didn't know that. We'll address Mehron separately because Mehron crowd crush was very different on so many aspects. And I think that's a case that actually I just presented recently at the EMS World Expo um, uh, um, conference in Atlanta because it posed so many challenges on our teams, and we'll talk about that. But but going back to, uh, circling back to your standard MCI, so to speak, is, is during is, is that— Is there a standard MCI? Well, I, I think the guidelines, the outline of a, of a mass casualty incident is that there are more injuries than resources on the spot to treat. Correct. I think that's the general— yeah. Um, idea. Um, that said, um, we, we need to create some sort of typical standard to work according to. And it can be afterwards a car accident, an MVA. It could be um, a, a natural disaster. It could be uh, a flood. It could be um, a fire and, and many other things. And, and, and requ requires us as first responders, especially scene commander creating the first size up, is to also not only look at how many people are injured, but check for obvious hazards. If we're talking about an MVA, motor vehicle accident, we need to see that there is a, a first of all, is there involvement of hazardous materials, um, uh, trucks or, or, or a, any sort of that? Are there electrical lines that were hit? Or oil um, on the ground. Or oil on the, on the ground. You also have road safety to involve with. Exactly, especially to report back in order for those resources and, 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 and additional forces that are on the way to be aware of. Um, and, and that's important in the initial size-up. Now, the whole size-up, initial size-up that I keep saying shouldn't take more than one minute. I would say even 30 Not seconds. Even, yeah. The idea is the first, as soon as the first responder gets to the scene, he first says, I am on scene and reports in the same breath. He already gives an initial size up of what he sees visually. Then he will get out of his car or off the ambulance cycle or whatever it is and do that runaround, which will take him 30 to 60 seconds to get a general idea of what we're talking about, including those hazards and report back. Um, at this point, what will happen is um, he will um, take command and he will be announced as incident commander um, and start working according to ICS, incident command system, which will start unfolding as additional responders come to the scene. And the whole idea of this ICS is to create a system that will enable to make us work effectively. And once again, we're working against our human nature of wanting to immediately starting to treat People, because if we put a, a, a some sort of system at the beginning, at the early stages of the game, the outcome will definitely be more successful and more lives will be saved. Yes, people people's lives will be lost, but many of the others will be saved as a result. And not implementing this process will definitely cost other people's lives. And 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 this is based off of years of experience 
in Israel and around the world in mass casualty incidents. Right. So let's talk about that first responder who shows up. Uh, now, everyone in, in United Atala is actually trained to be that first responder uh, because it often happens that the first responder is not necessarily, you know, let's say a fire chief or a, a paramedic or a regional paramedic or even a doctor. It could just be a person passing by in their car and seeing whatever the incident happened to be or the nearest responder goes to respond because that's how our system works. Our system works based on the network of volunteers around the country where all we're all trained to be the first responder or in certain instances the only responder at a scene um, and then take command of that until the next level of medical uh I guess supervision shows up. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, first of all, United Hatzalah, being a community-based emergency response organization, part of our basic training for every volunteer, for every basic EMT in the organization, is MCI protocol and in the in their most basic training. Because our whole concept is being that person in the community, from your regular day-to-day -day operations in that cardiac arrest or motor vehicle accident or whatever it is. The whole idea is to leverage that power of community and the volunteers in the community to be the first responders, to be the first ones on scene. So naturally, when we're talking about a mass casualty incident, the odds are that the first person on scene will not be that official ambulance service. It will essentially be that person from the community um, or that person driving by on the highway that, that was just close to the area and will arrive on scene. So they have to know MCI protocol, they have to understand the ICS, and they have to know what the first steps that they have to take are on the scene until those additional volunteers, first responders, show up on scene. All right. I remember when I when I did the training uh, five years ago, um, it was one of the most exciting moments of of our course uh, was the MCI training because we got to get, uh, to an extent, we got to get our hands dirty as the trainees um, with really going out into the scene and seeing and feeling uh, like you said, the chaos before, and then trying to make sense of that. Uh, and they had each volunteer kind of take their turn being the incident commander at the the mass casualty incident, and it was it was pretty harrowing. It was it was nerve wracking for sure. Um, it's not something easy, and it it takes a little bit of a switch of thinking differently, like you said, where we're going against our instincts to help, and we're trying to do triage, we're trying to do uh, I guess scene triage uh, to let everybody know what's going on behind, so that they can send the appropriate forces to come. Uh, and deal with the situation behind us. Now, after that, we're also trying to divide the scene into certain areas, uh, areas where they have like um, uh, sort of like different uh, areas of focus for responders. So when the next responders come, we can say, you go to that area, you go to this area, you go to this area, start tagging everyone that you see doing a, a second level of triage, um, and then also setting up a different area for treatment and a different area for ambulances and trying to arrange uh, a path for transportation for vehicles to enter and exit the scene. Um, and that's a lot of work for one person. Well, yeah, th there are so many roles that, that need to be played during an MCI. We're talking about the in the incident command system. We have It's understanding, first of all, span of control. Um, it's understanding right. that one person cannot um, manage 50, 60, 70, or 80 responders on the scene. Um, the whole idea of incident command system is understanding the span of control is limited. Anyone can manage effectively six, seven people effectively. In this way, uh, you have the incident commander, which will have three um, uh, sector uh, commanders, and you'll have a medical commander, and you'll have the triage director and the uh, staging area where they will be brought to and from there transport onto the ambulances 
to transport to the hospital, helicopters or whatever. Um, and, and the more you get that effectively, though, I, that said, I, I always say you got to not get sucked into the process because if we have too many commanders and no people working on the ground, then we're losing as well. Right. So it's it's always that balance yeah. uh, between enough responders working on the ground and 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 people managing um, the incident. And, and and there's no real um, definitive guideline on that. It really requires uh, common sense. Um, I I think that it also depends on the size of the incident. If we're talking about uh, 10 or 20 injured versus 60, 70, or versus 150 and 200, like we've seen in these past events. Um, this year. So I think getting right. into the game, then you have already the more experienced uh, responders and, and, and more um, higher in rank chiefs and whatnot that will come and, and, and take command right. and know how to create that balance. All right. For those systems that have rank in, in United Cell, we don't actually. It's one of the beautiful things I think about the organization, but also one of the more challenging that the well rank is defined in our organization more by experience, <laughs> experience. put it that way it's, it's not it's not rank in the classic type of uh, rank Correct. hey i'm boss it's it's more like um it's 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 experience and training exactly uh, essentially experience training and 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 you know basically hands-on knowing what you're doing you can be my incident commander anytime okay i'll, t- <laughs> I'll, 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 t- I'll take it i'll take it Rafa, unfortunately <laughs> been there done that um <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next thing we were, we were sort of uh, looking to discuss was now that we've sort of set out what happens at an MCI and the idea of of going against our, our natural instincts uh, of wanting to go in and help, but changing and saying we have to do more of a triage and more of a, a direction for at least the first responder. What happens afterwards on the operational levels? We have we have people coming into the scene. We have dispatchers. We have lots of responders showing up, hopefully quickly. Uh, there's going to be ambulances that need to go, come and go. Um, and we have uh, situations of, like transfer of command taking place on scene between, you know, the first scene incident commander who shows up, and then the higher levels or more experienced um, and and higher trained people uh, coming afterwards and following up there. So well, how does that all take place? Well, there are so many components inside a mass casualty incident. You're saying dispatching, so dispatching has their protocols for MCI. Um, there are so many things that are done on the back end from the dispatch center. It's contacting the police and notifying them to clear the, the highways, not only to the scene, but also from the scene to the different hospitals. It's coordinating with the aeromedical unit. It's coordinating with uh, with the IDF in, in certain areas where required. It's coordinating with hospitals, notifying them to alert them that there has been an incident and and have them prepared, all the different hospitals in the vicinity, to know that they will start taking within uh, injuries within minutes to to, to, to to an hour they'll be getting they'll be getting a lot of the injuries so that's right. that's for the, of course, the and fire of department course, and the fire canine department, unit law enforcement canine unit you name it and of course many other agencies and services which are involved that's on the back end from the dispatch center and of course controlling the amount of first responders and resources sent um, to the scene um, on the field you've got the scene commander and you've got the medical commander and the transport commander and you've got all the responders working and doing triage tagging red yellow green um pronouncing in the unfortunate cases also once again treating a mass casualty incident and protocol and triage is n- unlike treating that single patient meaning that in an incident of a single patient accident that we might fight over and, 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 and do everything possible to save their life in a mass casualty incident, it, it is a bit different. It is different in a way that a patient, for example, that is not breathing 
in a mass casualty incident and survival rates are near to none, will not be treated in order for us to give that resource to those who are savable. It's it's those savables versus those who are not savable in this situation. And that's that's one of the most difficult things, I think, for any responder to see or to be a part of. Um, and truth is, anyone who's not a responder to hear that, it's, it's quite shocking. It, it, it's shocking. And more than that, having 30 years of experience in this and participated in dozens, maybe hundreds of MCIs over the years, it's, it's, it's what you go home with after the incident. And it's that uh, sort of feeling that you had to, uh, with the risk of sounding cliche, to play God um, of, of who lives and, who, and who's not. I think that's one of the most difficult choices that we have to live with afterwards. Right. And we have to balance that together with the good work that we did at the scene of the people we did manage to save and help. Uh, and, and, that, and that's what we focus on. We, That's we what try. we focus we on. We try to focus on that. We focus, we focus on the success. We focus on those who were saved. And, and yeah, and, and if not, then we have the psychotrauma unit and, <laughs> and, and, say, our, and our therapists let's start to help us deal that. with that. Let's start talking about that. Um, in terms of uh, the psychotrauma team, um, how do they come into play in these things? Uh, in pretty much in every mass casualty incident, they're going to be dispatched. Um, for those who don't know, let's just back up a little bit. Uh, the Psychotrauma and Crisis Response Unit is a specialized unit that United Atella developed uh, back in 2016 to deal with uh, psychological and emotional support on the scene of a medical emergency. Uh, often, when we have a scene of a medical emergency, there's going to be people who are affected who weren't necessarily the injured person uh, who will be suffering either emotional uh, stress or trauma, as well as psychological stress and trauma as well. People even witnessed it, uh, family members. Uh, maybe the person involved, if it's a car accident, what often happens is the person who, let's say it was a pedestrian in a, in a vehicle, the, the driver of the vehicle would be, would be um, you know, have suffer emotional stress as well. Uh, so those people need to be treated at the scene. And often in, in classical situations, they're taken to the hospital and, and given to a social worker in the hospital, but that can take a while uh, because they're not a priority one patient. Um, but they are someone who does, who do, they do need help. Uh, so our unit basically recognized that there was that need in, in a lot of the scenes that take place here in Israel. Um, and we started dispatching um, qualified psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, social workers uh, who received specialized training of how to use their services in the field and provide emotional stabilization for anyone suffering from emotional or psychological stress uh, to recognize them, to know who they are and see them in the scene and then go and help them at the scene. Um, the second level of what the psychotrauma unit then did was provide internal uh, care for first responders who were, uh, let's say, took home some of those um, negative sides of, of incidents that they responded to uh, and try and help them out as well, uh, providing both emotional stabilization and care for them. And if needed, then also seeking help for them on a more professional, permanent level. Um, in every instance where the psychotrauma team is, is used, it is their protocol to uh, also make sure that whoever they're treating has a support network before they leave the scene, as well as being passed on to the next level of care, similar to what we do in EMS, where we have, uh, you know, the first responder pass on to the ambulance, which passes on to the hospital, going to the next level of care and receiving that and making sure they're cared for. Uh, the same thing happens with psychotrauma and crisis response unit as well, both on the micro level and on the macro level in, in small scenes and, of course, in mass casualty incidents. Um, yeah, well, this year... Um was really the psychotrauma unit was was used on scale. Yeah, um, in ways they've never been used before. Exactly, and I, I would say that 
that not only um, did they uh, kick in to treat the regular uh, calls, but both in Meron and in Givat Ze'ev, um, in the collapse, um, we, we saw a, a, how instrumental they were to help support our own volunteers. Um, not everyone has been through dozens or hundreds of mass casualty incidents. Some of them have been exposed for the first time. Um, as I said, we've had a decade and a half of, of we were lucky. Um, but unfortunately, um, the, the situation happened and, um, and they were able to really be effective. And if, I, if I'd like to focus and drill down a little bit from, from the general idea of the unit and looking a little bit about the experience that we've had this year with them, then looking at, at the mass casualty incident, especially when we're talking about Miron, well, obviously, like Rafael said, we dispatch them to every mass casualty incident because there are always bystanders who are exposed to a very traumatic incident, be it an accident, be it a, a crowd crush, be it a, 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 a disaster, a fire or whatnot. Um, but, and, and that's standard protocol. But we experienced something very unique. Um, when looking at the incident in Meron, um, it acted in many different ways. And I had mentioned before, and maybe this is a good opportunity to maybe go into depth about the Mayron incident, which was different than any standard MCI. Uh, and, and how is that? Well, actually on so many levels. Um, and w- when we look at a regular mass casualty incident and all protocol and training that we learn, the simulation is quite simple. Teams, you are dispatched to position or point X, for an accident, a bomb, a fire, a, a, a whatever, and you have those few minutes um, to think on the way, to refresh your protocols, um, and, and, and to think what the, the steps are that you'll be doing as soon as you get there. And, and in a way, psychologically also, you're preparing yourself. You're preparing yourself to be exposed to many people injured, to large numbers of, of injuries and f- possibly fatalities. Um and then you arrive on the scene and you start working by protocol. Now, when you arrive on scene, you'll find anywhere between um, uh, a few to a dozen to even dozens or a hundred um, injured people on the scene, uh, victims, and you'll start working and treating them. And as first responders arrive and the number of first responders and the resources that arrive on scene, you'll see slowly but surely the number of injured victims and fatalities going down because they're being transported. And at a certain point, you have enough responders on scene and there's enough resources there and the people are being treated and transported to the hospital. What happened in Meron was very, very different. What happened in Meron was the first call that came in was actually from our first responders, which were staging there on the mountain because for this pilgrimage event, we had almost 300 volunteers pre-positioned on the mountain on standby. Because every year there's this incident, and every year we have people there that faint, that get burns, fractures, falls. Your standard, um, your standard large-scale event um, uh, injuries, injuries. Yeah. And, and and people you know not feeling and well. And this year, even before the mass casualty incident happened, to the we had point some CPRs of the, as well. to the point of the incident this year at at uh, twelve forty-five a.m., mm-hmm. uh, we treated a hun- over one hundred and fifty people to these regular routine calls, including a cardiac arrest um, and, and other incidents in the call. So we had those volunteers pre-positioned. And the first call that came in was from our volunteers positioned in Station 41 um, that were saying that some people were being uh, um, 
it was very crowded and some people fainted. So obviously we dispatched um, a number of uh, additional teams to the scene, but it wasn't even treated yet as a mass casualty incident. Right, they just didn't know what had happened yet. Exactly, and as they're arriving, that was actually the reality. It was still not a large number of victims. And what happened was this incident, as opposed to any other incident, mass casualties in it, evolved around them. It evolved around them. This was volunteers, paramedics and EMTs, which were on the scene watching these people get crushed, screaming for dear life, trying to get rescued, and they literally watched them die in front of their eyes. And that is so traumatic on so many levels. I myself was there on scene. And ground zero of this, of this, of this incident, and you cannot describe that feeling of people call, call, calling for help, people trying to pull them out literally, and because of the power of the wave, of the people, they were simply crushed to death, and the, this graph that I describe of usually coming to the incident and having a hundred people injured and slowly the number deteriorating here. We actually saw volunteers arriving and more and more first responders, paramedics and EMTs arriving on the scene. And the number of victims just kept growing. It kept growing around them. So that point of saturation where you had enough responders versus the amount of victims took much longer. And not only that, but the volunteers themselves, the first responders were exposed to these people dying in front of their eyes, right, which many of them never seen. But let's, Let's back up and give people an idea of what it was in Maryland that happened. We keep talking about it. Let's let's sort of describe the actual incident. Uh, what we're basically talking about was something tens of thousands of people were located in one area. Uh, coming down from that area, the only exit available for them was a long, narrow bridge uh, or path that sort of winded down to the exit. Um, and as people were coming down, more and more people kept filling up from behind them, trying to get down the bridge, too. Now, from the back end of the bridge, you weren't able to see the front end. It curved. Uh, so the people in the back who were trying to exit weren't able to see the tragedy that was happening in front of them. Um, and and at some point, the crowd gets so thick uh, with people that, it, like you said, it becomes a wave. Uh, rather than one or two people entering an area, it was literally tens of thousands trying to enter one space at the same time. And, that and they, they had no control over themselves. Right. They were being pushed in a wave, in a massive power. We're talking about tons this is the power of tons. Yeah. Imagine, imagine and the people trying, in the front who were trying to get out just simply weren't able to get out fast they, enough. They were squashed. And were squashed. Literally. They were crushed, and, and, and it was very traumatic. And, and I think at a certain point while we were doing triage there and, and, and performing CPRs, I don't know, I just called in over the radio and said that there must have been 20 CPRs uh, being conducted simultaneously. Um and, and I can still hear the music blasting from up on top. Right, because they had no idea. And I, I tell my deputy there who was with me, I say, listen to the music up on top. They have no idea up on top yet what's going on down here. Right. And it was only minutes later that, that they started, you know, uh, performing their emergency evacuation protocol, which collapsed because the mountain was too full of people and there wasn't any ability to move anywhere, basically. And... Throwing into that the the fact that everyone who's seeing this is trying to call somebody, so the cell phone towers crashed, um, which is amazing that we had the backup plan of our radio systems. Well, that's why that's why we have uh, contingency programs and 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 backup systems, so that one system fails, another one does not. Correct, and that's something else to take into consideration when an MCI is taking place. Is uh, technology is a wonderful thing, but when it's used too much and there's there's too many people trying to use it at the same time, it tends to collapse. Uh, as well. So a backup 
protocol and contingency is important to include uh, when preparing for something like an MCI? So, so yeah, so back, so back to Mehron and, and understand why this event was different. So number one is, is having the event evolve around you as opposed to arriving at an event and starting to treat. So it took even time to understand that this is an MCI happening because at the beginning it was not an MCI. It was just a few people who were crushed, fainted, but we're not talking about masses. And very quickly this evolved. I'm talking about a process of 10 minutes. Within 10 minutes, this turned from a few individuals into hundreds of people that were crushed and injured and 45 ended up being killed due to to this uh, uh, crush. And, and a few more challenges that happened during this incident was, number one, ambulances could not enter anywhere near, near this mountaintop and all the emergency evacuation plans collapsed because hundreds of thousands of people just simply tried to, tried to flee the mountain blocking every single route. So what happened was we needed to transport all of these people who were injured um, on, on, on stretchers by hand down the mountain to the main road, basically, to get to the ambulances for the transport. Helicopters landing all around on the bottom of the mountain, and yet we need to evacuate over 200 people right. on, stretchers on stretchers between crowds of hundreds of thousands of people on yeah. the mountain. And they, who, who didn't know what to do or how to get out of the way or where to get out of the way because anywhere they went was in the way. Exactly. And, and I think that in the aftermath, when I uh, arrived back in our staging area um, and I, I, I witnessed, I think, a, a, a site that was, for me, I think, more difficult than any of the sites I've ever seen in my life. And it was not of the people who were killed or injured. It was actually looking at 100 plus of our volunteers literally falling apart, falling apart emotionally. Um, and, and it hit me at that moment that this incident was very, very different because of that unique situation of the event evolving around you. Um, not having that even one minute to prepare psychologically for the event you're going to see. Um, and nothing ever prepares you for a person that's, calling you and and literally hands out to you trying to get help and simply being crushed to death in front of your eyes. Um, and we understood that we need to do something that we have not done before, and that was activate our psychotrauma unit on scale at the max um, immediately and not gather in the station after the incident a few hours later. We needed to get those um, psychotrauma unit volunteers on scene ASAP. And that's what we did. We had um, literally dozens of them pouring in, um, and we from across the country, from across they the came country. From, they came from anywhere in the northern section of the country. They came and, and worked through traffic, and we were coordinated with police, and we started working with them through the night, and then with weeks to follow yeah. of, of therapy sessions mm -hmm. for volunteers throughout the country. And I can I can say that I can proudly say that it paid off because it certainly I, did. We had a hundred percent of our volunteers back in action, back on the ground, um, and, and, and get back to normal life. Yeah. It, it took a couple of weeks, but, um, yes. and, and that was kind of enforced. Also, we, we told volunteers on the level of even the chapters that they were from, uh, not to volunteer, not to go out to respond to calls until they were ready. And then uh, I guess they weren't, wasn't really certified as being ready, but okayed by someone, uh, both the chapter head and someone from the psychotrauma unit to 
go back into the field, go back and act. And and even then, we had our sensors, our sensors within 100%. the teams that were, you know, working with them, you know, just keeping an eye out, seeing that everything's okay, and not only in the field, but also looking back at their families, looking back at their behavior. And, and I think that it really taught a lesson. It taught a lesson also us looking forward into the future of, of MCIs um, is understanding the importance of the psychotrauma unit and that component for our teams and for the people around um, as well. Uh, so even for the most macho uh, volunteers... Uh, and most experienced volunteers, we made it mandatory to go through therapy. I myself... I, I don't know who any of those people are. No idea. <laughs> I myself, with all the experience that I had, I required every one of our volunteers and employees to go and get therapy. And because I required them to do it, I had to go do it myself as well. So Not that, <laughs> not that you had a long time to, to recuperate from that, being that we had another MCI, was it a week later? <laughs> Two weeks later? No, it was a few weeks later. It yeah, was two weeks later. No, two. Yeah, from from one holiday to the next. Because uh, two two weeks later, we had the collapse of the bleachers in in Givadzev. and then a month after that, you and I and a number of members of the psychotrauma team ended up in Surfside. Surfside, Miami, correct? Which is uh, a whole different ball game because that wasn't uh, an EMS MCI. I mean, it started out that way, but then that alleviated. By the time we got there, it was more of a psychotrauma MCI where we're dealing with all the families. Uh, and perhaps that's another topic for a different podcast. Yeah, I, I think it'll be fantastic for a different podcast, but I think that, that what did come into, and maybe that's worth pointing out, especially for the professional community, is the work we did with the first responders on the ground there. Yes, that uh, the was first responders, the task forces, and all the rescue unit workers there, that they typically, as everyone else, are very macho and are afraid of the stereotypes and will not go and get the... The treatment from the services, from their own agencies, which provide these services, but yeah, they will so. not go. And having an external group of, uh, of psychotrauma experts coming in, not only external, but from a different country, right. eliminates that, that exposure component and, and tagging. And, and the personal sense of, of judgment. No one, there was no judgment. Exactly. And I, I, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah. To see their their reaction and the work that we had with them, and and it was worth it if if not for anything else. And we'll talk about the whole, you know, Surfside and and psychotrauma MCI. But but to see that the the parts that we put into action just here a few weeks earlier in Meron and in Givadzev and the bleachers collapse um, was was put into action with our colleagues from uh, from Miami, from Surfside, from the task forces and rescue units of their fire department and other first responders and how they uh, uh, were able to to um, gain and value from from that, from, from what we were able to share over there. Yeah, it was definitely a, a one-to-one, like things we learned, we, we sung there. Um, that's all the time we have for now. Um, thanks so much for joining us here uh, with Real Life Rescues. Uh, I'm Rafael. And I'm Dovi. And we'll see you next time. This has been great. And we'll talk about MCIs with you. And next time we'll be bringing you another wonderful topic about Real Life Rescues. Signing out. Thank you.